The winemakers are up next, but first, check out this other great show on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Destination Eat Drink. I'm Brent Peterson from Destination Eat Drink, the travel podcast for foodies. This week, we're sampling paella, vermouth, and an eggplant recipe from 500 years ago. We're in Spain, virtually. Download Destination Eat Drink today on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. From the birthplace of modern winemaking, Sonoma, California, welcome to the winemakers. Local experts Sam Katuri, Bart Hansen, and Brian Casey, along with host John Myers, invite you to listen in as they discuss all facets of winemaking. So sit back, pour yourself a glass, and let's hear what the guys have to say this week. Hi, welcome to the Winemakers. This is Brian Casey with uh, my good friends, Bart Hansen and Sam Katuri. We are, we're, this might be our last Zoom. I know we've kind of talked about maybe getting together in person again. It's sort of getting to that point where we're opening up a little bit, but now, you know, from what you see going on, it's possible we might wait a little bit longer. I don't know. Um, I know that I'm supposed to get back to work at the Fairmont uh, July 1st. So those conversations are already starting in in my house, and I know you and Sam, uh, Sam you and I talked about it yesterday about um, uh, the tasting house opening again. So, um, um, but today we we have a really good guest on today. We've got uh, Maya Thomas Olds, who has been recently named the general manager at Gloria Ferrer Winery, um, and that that um, title, general manager, is is a I mean, it's a, it's a mouthful. When I looked at everything that you're basically responsible for, you're going to oversee operations, hospitality, direct to consumer, marketing, winemaking, viticulture, and sustainability. So that's, that's a true general manager, if I ever heard of it. So well, welcome to the show. And, and how are you guys doing at Gloria? The last time I was there, I think it was two or three weeks ago to pick up my wine club shipment. And they met me, you know, you parked in the parking lot and they had the little um, things set up and they would ask for your name and then they brought the wines out to you. But are you guys actually now open in the tasty room? You know, real, just real quick, my, my, or my commas, you need to understand that. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah that, it, it's going to be Maya. Sorry. Um, that Brian's is a little bit of a glory for our stalker. I mean, oh. his wife, his wife <laughs> nice. drinks the, drinks the juice. And and uh, a big customer, so uh, well, just know that going yeah, in. I don't know who buys more, the Fairmont or my wife. It's it's <laughs> it's like that. It's that bad. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Well, um, anyone that's anyone that's listening, if you want to go to GloriaFerrerWinery.com or um, hit up Instagram at GloriaFerrerWinery um, while you're listening to the show, you can kind of see if you have not visited this area or have not heard of Gloria Ferrer, you can check that out while you're listening to the show. Sorry, Maya, go ahead. No problems. First off, thank you guys for hosting me and having me today. It's really fun. I've known Bart and Sam for, well, I've known Sam for a really long time. I've known Bart for also a very long time. So it's exciting to be here with you guys. Um, at Gloria, we've been re, hospitality has been reopened on and off for three weeks as we've kind of had to move and change as they've changed the regulations on us a little bit. Um, we're still doing the curbside pickup. We also have this thing where on um, Saturdays or Fridays, depending on which day of the week is, we're partnering with local restaurants. Um, the Girl and the Fig, Soul Food is coming up pretty soon. 
the Petaluma Pie Company. Whoa. Yes. So you call, you get a bottle of wine, and then you come pick up your food, take it home, enjoy it. So that's been really fun and a good way to keep the staff busy and out of trouble while we are closed. But we've decided to keep it going because it helps the restaurants. It helps us. It's been fun. Um, we're doing, I think with the girl in the fig, we're going to do fried chicken Fridays like every other Friday through July because that's been our most popular one, unsurprisingly. Yeah, they got the good fried chicken. I think they do biscuits and gravy or something with it too. It's pretty pretty bomb. Yeah, the, the yeah. box, you pick up the box, you pick up your bottle of wine. That's, I mean, in a perfect classic sparkling wine. Oh, sparkling yeah. wine, fried, fried food. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. done. Yeah. Blanc de Noir and some fried chicken. I'm, yeah. I'm all about it. As soon as they have the gluten-free, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> Which some people do. My grandmother always made it gluten free when we were kids. Uh, well, shout out to Street Social, um, new spot in Petaluma that does their fried chicken. They just it's their fried chicken, but they call it Golden Fried GF. So so it's like sort of the secret code to the gluten free world that it's um, it is gluten free and it's it's what's, really good. What's it Street, called? Street Social. It's um, it's Marjorie Peer, uh, who you probably know from Sonoma and. Uh, Javon, her husband, she used to be the chef at, uh, you know, sous chef at, at, uh, the star. Right. I'm blanking. Oh, cool. Um, and they opened, they opened like January. So they basically opened just pre COVID, um, and then have shifted hard to, um, selling, selling bottles on their webs on you know, Instagram and the website and, uh, a few, a few different takeouts. Number one podcast listener, um, Bart Hansen's mom. Um, yeah. loves the well, bond me, the bond me and a bottle of sixteen six hundred rose day right right and the <laughs> and and the fried chicken she didn't even know it was gluten free it was just right. you know just fried chicken it's, it's good. where are they guys are they right downtown they're 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 in the landmark building Brian it's the it's the old um, oh what was the name of the uh, Dick Dick Warner's place uh, Dick and Julie Warner. It had a name, and then it was like it came back, so it had it was like that place too or something. Right. So you're not talking about the Wild Goat Bistro. No, no, in the Landmark no. Building, underneath um, Old right Chicago to, Pizza. Oh, right okay, okay, next to McNear's. Yeah, yeah. Okay, gotcha. Sorry, folks, we're talking Old Town Petaluma these days or this time. <laughs> and that concludes the Petaluma report for today. Right. <laughs> There's my little P sign, right? <laughs> you're, you're on. Go P Town. Go P Town. <laughs> Yeah, so, so I, when, are, when are you guys talking about actually doing sit-down? Because you guys have a beautiful spot. Your patio is amazing. Um, when can people get back in there and, and uh, do tastings? They can come back now. Um, it's reservation only, so we can control the flow of the people. We used to see so many people, and they'd be grouped and lined out the hallway. We can't really afford to have that right now with COVID, so we're reservation only. Um, but we do same day reservations. So if we have a table, we'll take you that day or that hour, depending on tables. Usually like Friday afternoon, Saturday afternoons kind of were super packed and not the best time to come. But the rest of the week, we've got tables. We can seat you. We're doing food and wine pairings. Um, we have cheese plates, I think sandwiches, like just little bites to come and have a flight of wine. And we're using fatted calf um, charcuterie right now on our cheese plates and um, Sonoma County cheeses, I think. Yesterday we had Mount Tam and Toma maybe was on the plate. I feel like the cheeses change every day, but they're all Sonoma County based. So 
so far the feedback's been great. Everybody's been really happy. You have to wear a mask until you're seated at the table and have food and wine in front of you. And we ask that you wear your mask if you leave. Um, we've spaced the tables out pretty far. The patio is amazing. Yeah. Like you said it's like a great place to come spend an afternoon or late morning and just sit down and relax. We're really trying to send everybody who comes, we're trying to like help them calm down and relax and send them away a little bit rejuvenated because everybody right now is so stressed out, there's no way around it. So we're trying to be a calm spot amongst amongst the craziness of the world. Yeah, I need I need an oasis like that. It's been I'm 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 going on four months, Maya, of not being at work, sitting at home. So, <laughs> well, come see us. Like we're we sanitize the tables between everybody. We there's sanitizer everywhere. We're, our team is amazing. They've been doing a great job at keeping themselves safe and everybody else too. And most of the customers have been very receptive and super happy to come back and feel safe. And the feedback's been great. Yeah. Well, you guys both know my. I don't know you. So can you just kind of tell me, I mean, obviously you grew up in Sonoma, but what's your background with wine? How'd you get started? Um, I grew up on the top of Mount Meter, which is maybe where Sam's parents meant or not, but my parents <laughs> did. <laughs> okay, Sam. here we go. <laughs> my mom and Sam's mom were best friends. Like they were hooked at the hip instantly from the first time they met in the seventies, I would guess, maybe late seventies. Yeah. Definitely the early 70s. Um, and my family has a brand called Sky Vineyards, which is Zinfandel and Syrah, but Zinfandel has always been our core wines that we've made. Um, it's a very, um, it's a style that focuses on acidity, acidity and balance. It does not focus on sweet, big alcohol. So our wines are usually picked at much lower alcohols than you would expect to see in A, a Napa wine or is in Pindal. Um, so they've been, the style has been consistent since the 70s. I grew up there. My family is a lot like Phil, believes children are for working. Just to work. <laughs> and a very young age in the cellars and the vineyards, like after school chores were topping barrels or pruning vines, depending on what was happening what time of year. We wouldn't go to school sometimes when it was like harvest because probably more because the parents didn't have the bandwidth to get us out the door to the school bus, but we would stay and help. I've been eating grapes since I was nine months old, happily. Um, grew up there. I moved to Spain when I was 16. Wait, how'd that happen? I wanted to drop out of high school. Yeah, don't we all? <laughs> I was not a happy high school kid. And my dad said I could drop out if I did something educational and figured it, like, figure it out my life. So I went to Spain to learn Spanish and came back a few years later and went to the junior college, studied, went to Davis, studied fermentation science, kind of made up for being a high school dropout. Yeah. Um, meantime, I was in and out of Australia. I worked in Australia for five or six years um, for the big guys. So I'd become home, work harvest for my dad with our little tiny 14 acres, and then I'd go work for Penfolds and um, Pernod Ricard hundreds of thousands of tons. So I was seeing everything in those kind of young formative years. And then my dad said, come home. I want you to come home. I came home, worked for my dad for a little bit and started working for Phil. Um, and I don't, six or seven years I worked for Phil. And I wanted to get the masters and there was no way to 
get my master's while working a job that, that was that intense. So I went and got my master's in sustainability and started working for Diageo before I finished and um, was promoted to director of vineyard operations. So at Diageo, I oversaw 20,000 acres of grapes up and down the whole state. Wow. There were 17 brands and I loved it. It was fantastic. Um, and then they sold to Treasury eventually. So then I've moved on and done basically high-end Cabernet, smaller places, but corporate owned since until I was um, lured away to take over Gloria, which was in February. And I love it so far. It's an amazing place. The team is great. The history is fabulous. Um, I love being back a part of the community. It's really nice to be. Gloria has its own community, but also it's been there since like 19, the winery was finished in 1986, but they started in, before then. So they've been there a long time and everybody in the Valley knows who they are. They know where they are. It's kind of one of the pillars, I think, of the community. And we're really, it's fun to be working on reinforcing that. And when, when they hired you, were you replacing someone or did they sort of create a new position for you? They, they knew they wanted to create this position. Um, so they came looking for somebody who had, who could see, oversee all those parts of the wine business. And I think it's pretty rare that somebody has worked in as many parts of the wine industry as I have. There's lots of us that grow up in the industry, but usually we pick a path and stay in it. And I kind of have always done everything. Yeah. 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 I mean, talking about working at your parents' place, what, did you say 14 acres? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and then working for Diageo. That's, yeah, that's a, that's a wide spectrum. Complete opposites. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And if anyone wants to, to check out Sky Vineyards, just go to uh, skyvineyards.com. Um, and you can check out their wines. Sam, you've shared some of those wines with me before. Yeah, I mean, it's a, a taste of Sonoma the way it was before, you know, all the rest of this happened. Um, and, and a, you know, farming style, a winemaking style, a, a, a way of life that, um, you know, is, is preserved in those bottles. Um, you know, down to, to Lori's art on the label. I mean, the whole thing. Um, it's... And, you know, to have, have uh, you know, sort of walked your whole life, uh, you know, with one foot um, there and then and one foot in, in the corporate world, um, it almost seems like Gloria is a good place to land where it has a little, fam you know, it has the family connection still. It's Sonoma, it's a state, but it's also, um, you know, <laughs> it, uh, it has, um, you know, the corporate sort of structure. Pockets. Big business, you know. Well, at this point, it's number one, number one sparkling wine distributor in the world, I believe, right? The company that... Um, Henkel. Uh, yeah. yeah. They own, I mean, across every platform of sparkling wine, we have a foot in that, basically. So it's an amazing resource to have behind us if we have a port question, a bottle question. Uh, like, we're working on some innovation products. Like, there's always somebody, whether it's in Champagne or Prosecco or Cava, like, come on like there's somebody to reach out to and ask like hey have you done this what is it, what did it look like it's pretty exciting to get to work into i mean i worked for moet hennessy for a while so i got to work with krug and dom and all those guys ruin art but this is a whole different world and it's amazing to see all the different wine styles and the ways of doing everything to produce something at the end of the day is wine but it's completely different than what i'm used to yeah. Yeah. What is total? What is total case production just for Gloria? Um, I'd say we're mid-sized, medium-sized. 
Okay. I don't think I'm supposed to share the numbers, but we're not huge, but we're not small either. We're definitely mid-tier and we're changing our model. So we're going, we're working towards becoming a state only um, as part of kind of the rehab and it was part of the plan to bring on a general manager and kind of refocus on where we are in Carneros. Um, and does that so that's mean been the works for quite a while. Does that mean making less wine or does that mean expanding vineyards? Um, making less wine because we've always, we've traditionally had a lot of growers since the early 80s before our vineyards were even put. Um, so unfortunately, once those contracts finish, they're not coming back because we are focusing on, we currently have the estate at the winery and then just down the road, we have um, about 280 acres at Circle Bar Ranch. Right. Now, Maya, so um, without a doubt in the past five years, we've seen a big, you know, jump in popularity of champagne or sparkling wine, you know, grower yep. champagnes, um, you know, uh, pet gnats and stuff. Um, are, are you guys seeing that? I mean, are you guys seeing definitely uh, more interest in sparkling wine in general? And, and then are you guys going to look into doing, you know, some things like pet gnats? Um, you know, or are you just going to stick? I, and and, I, and I, you don't have to answer that if it's not yeah. appropriate, but just yeah. curious. Uh, we've definitely seen a huge change. One of the things, I mean, I've always loved sparkling wine. My dad loves champagne. So like whenever we celebrate anything, we've always been a champagne family. So since I was pretty little, we've had amazing sparkling wine around. But what I've seen with general consumers over the last few years is they're a lot more educated they understand that sparkling wine is not just something for a birthday or an anniversary. They understand that it goes really well with food, sometimes better than a red wine or a Chardonnay. Like it has more diversity in the food it goes with, like fried chicken or pizza. So I think consumers in general don't think about it differently. It's not just, woohoo, it's a party, let's celebrate. It's like, oh, it's Tuesday and I'm having fried chicken. I want the bubbles. It'll make me feel better. And I know during COVID, champagne sales have tanked a little bit, but sparkling wine in general has done really well. Like we've been, we've held pretty steady, even with hospitality being closed and our off-premise, our on-premise channels being compromised. Um, and for innovation, we're looking at all sorts of things. I did suggest a pet knot for like a small trial, but I don't think the winemaker is super open to that. And I can push him some, but I'm not going to push him that. Yeah. I'm just curious. It's a little barn at the top of the mountain where you could, you know, bring a ton of uh, Chardonnay up to and do something fun with them. <laughs> Why, Sam, you know somebody has some Chardonnay, mountaintop uh, Chardonnay for sale? No, that, that <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Everybody's got something for sale this year, don't they? Yep. Um, yeah, you know, it's funny. I, I, I remember at the millennium, remember that was going to change sparkling, you know, at that point, uh, Corbell had bought in to Kenwood and um, that was gonna be the thing. You know, Corbell went yeah. in big with that at Millennium and it never really kind of happened. Um, and I think it's fascinating that, you know, in the past X amount of years, how much interest and as you say, people are more familiar and educated about sparkling wine in general, it's awesome. Yeah, and it's not just for celebration. Even back then they were focusing on celebrations and right. cheering on things. And today it's just like a pick me up. Like I had a crappy day, I want some CO2. And my, I think it's, you know, canned bottled water, fizzy water has also exploded. Like, right. I think it's the same reason, like the CO2 gives you a little pick me up. So you get the alcohol plus the CO2 and you're just like, I feel better. 
And Maya, if, if you're feeling like you need a little sparkling wine at the end of the day, do you drink out of a flute? Because I... <laughs> that's a great question. And do you and no. are you serving? And and let's let's expand that to to service at the you know in the tasting room. What are you guys doing with flutes and and tulips and different things? But your yeah. personal answer first. So we're still using flutes at the winery, but as soon as like we go through our current supply, we won't be using flutes anymore. Um, and what because, does that mean? What will, what will you be using? So one of my mentors is Maggie Amiguez from Krug. She's amazing. And one of the first things she did is that, I mean, I was already drinking. I drink sparkling wine out of a regular wine glass pretty much on a given day, just because that's what I have at home. I don't have flutes. But like when you do the tastings with her, clearly the sparkling wine is better in a non-flute. You get more of the aromatics. Um, if you're drinking a $8 bottle of sparkling wine, a flute's perfect with a little bit of, you know, whatever flavoring you want to put in there to make a mimosa or something. But if you're really buying something like one of the Gloria ones, you want it in something that's um, a little bit more tulip shaped, I guess. You want it to be a little bit more open so you can really get some of those aromas and give it some space like you would with Chardonnay or anything else. You don't want it to be in too wide, so some of those really big um, bulby ones for Cabernet are not the right choice because then you lose all the CO2 too quickly. But right. but flutes are not ideal for quality wine. They're beautiful. Yeah, yeah. I started that about a year ago. I would just ask people at the restaurant when they ordered sparkling wine, uh, when they ordered a bottle. When we did it by the glass, we always served it in a flute. But when they would order a bottle, I'd say, you know, I, I personally drink um, sparkling wine out of a small white, like a tulip shape, like you were saying. Yeah. Is that something you guys are interested in? Or if you like the flute, I'm happy to bring it. And and nine times out of 10, when I bring the small whites and pour for them, they were like, oh, this is, this is, this is really cool. So I was just yeah. curious if any, I always wonder if anyone else um, picks up on this random stuff that I, um, that I see day to day in the restaurants. But that's interesting um, to hear that, um, that you guys will be getting rid of the, the flutes. Yeah, and that's my plan. I mean, we'll still always sell a few to people who want them because a mimosa does look much better in a flute and you don't need that same openness for a mimosa. You want the complexity of the juice and the wine, so. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of beautiful sparkling wine glasses if you Google them that are more tulip shaped. What's the history of the flute? Anybody, does anybody, like? I mean, it's gotta be just, it's a visual thing, right? I mean, I, you know, you see the, Frankly, you see a picture, you know, an Instagram picture from Gloria with the flute and the view across the rows, everything lines up and you look at him, you know, that whole thing. Is it, is it just aesthetic with the, you know, visual aesthetics with the flute? Yeah, the, I mean, I would think the perlage, right? I mean, it's, it's watching the bubbles run up the glass. It's just elegant and beautiful. And I have my own Instagram photo from the last time I was at Gloria. Maybe that's where I saw it. That's probably like. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> me with the flute, but, um, you know, when you're when you're running a restaurant and you're talking about wine cost, flutes are great because usually they're about six or seven ounces, and yep. and it's one of the it's one of the glasses that you can use that the servers don't overpour just because they can't. There's they run out of space. Whereas if you're using a larger glass and they're supposed to be pouring six ounces, they'll you know they're pouring seven, seven and a quarter, seven and a half on okay. a continuous basis, and that just adds up over time. So it's a good cost saving thing, but. Uh, and that's why I still do it with with by the glass stuff. But when people order bottles, I'm like, oh, you got to try something different. This is a different thing. 
And if you're at a, if it's a hot outside and you're sitting outside and you're not drinking very fast, a flute, the CO2 is going to last longer in the flute than it is going to in a bowl shaped bottle. So the wine will taste better over a longer period of time. But if you're in a, in the shade sitting down and like the wine's not getting warm very fast, then you can put it in something else and the CO2 will last. Am I totally weird? I kind of like it when my champagne gets a little on the flatter side and warms up a little bit. Am I, am I just a weirdo? Is that? Do you like Prosecco? You, That's I, one of the things about Prosecco is it has less CO2 in it. It's a little soft, yeah. I guess I do like Prosecco. Well, I was going to say, or do you, do you like aged, aged um, sparkling wine? I do like wine. I do like because, sparkling wine. Yeah, and because that usually has a little less. Um, you should come have our Carneros Cuvée. We have a 10-year and an 8-year rosé, and um, they're amazing. So clearly what we, we messed up by scheduling this one in the zoom era and should have just yeah. scheduled this for At the winery on the on terrace the, on the terrace we, brian you know it would have been our first four-hour show brian would have never wanted to leave <laughs> keep bring keep bringing the wine and the cheese right yeah <laughs> and a great tour too i mean i took the staff from the fairmont there uh i don't know four or five months ago i think and and did the tour and I mean, I highly encourage anyone coming in to visit to schedule a tour with you guys, not just come and do the tasting. I think there's certain days they don't do it, but they're... Um... Right now, we're not doing it at all because we can't. We haven't figured out how to safely do that. Right. But once we can figure out how to safely do that, we will bring it back just for now. It's on hold. So Maya, what was the, what was the first like three things that you wanted to do when you got the position? You kind of got a chance to look around, see what was exactly how they were doing things and what was going on. So what are the things that you said, oh, you know, these are the things I'd like to work on first? Um, the three things are the things that we're working on just differently than I thought we would. Um, of course, sustainability is always my first and foremost about how I think about anything. It makes the world a better place. It provides equality and equity in the workplace, but it also makes you more financially profitable. So we're working on that in every department and moving forward with those things. The other thing that we really talked about focusing on was upgrading hospitality a little bit more, making it more of a approachable, fine luxury experience rather than just coming and turning and burning people through hospitality. So we're really focusing on making people come and have an experience where they leave regenerative and we're the entrance to Sonoma Valley and the exit to it. So we're either people's first stop and we want to get them ready for a big day in the country or we're their last spot on their way home. So we kind of really want to provide that feeling to people that they're celebrating their start or just kind of relaxing at the end of the day. Um, and then the other things we're working on really have changed so much due to COVID that we have all these directions, but they're kind of on hold. And I think the world is changing and the world's going to continue to change. So what those things are and how we approach them are going to change wildly in the next six months to a year. Even if we have a vaccine by the end of the year, it's going to be a different world that we live in going forward. So I think we're really trying to adjust and make sure that we're very a super agile business that can change on the drop of a hat. We've been amazing at that before. Focusing on our online and virtual experiences, making sure that we can take the experience of coming to Gloria to somebody in North Dakota in December, so they can get a little bit of California sunshine coming to their house. Um, or if it's 99 degrees and 100% humidity in Houston, we can take a little bit of the cool Carneros breezes out to them and 
send them with some sparkling wine and cool them off and relax them a little bit, even if it's virtual. So I'd say pushing that virtual thing and finding ways to meet people where they're at is really important. Interesting. So that virtual, the virtual piece of that, was that something that you thought about pre-COVID or was that something that you guys sort of got into when the pandemic hit and you've seen that as a, as sort of a, you know, a viable way to do business? I had started working on it with my team about three weeks before all of this happened. Um, so while we were not the first to jump into it, we already sort of had the structure of what we wanted to do. And we're still refining it. The nice thing about COVID is it gave us a chance to change it and refine it. We still are doing a little bit more of that, but we have different experiences. Like we, we're doing the Instagram live things, but we're also doing private events for businesses or individuals or people's birthday parties. Like they can go online and book with specific wine educators if they know the wine educator they want or specific topics to talk to besides just the wine education piece. We'll send the wines, we'll send our famous almonds out to them. Um, we'll help them schedule food if they want food with local places. And we're changing how we do it and we're trying to put together like what works in North Dakota virtually might not work what, with what works in Texas. So we're trying to adjust and have really specific targeted programs for everywhere so we can really hit people with what they need and what they want versus you have to do this in this manner. Right. What okay. about online sabering lessons? Okay. I mean, you know, <laughs> seems like you, a really bad idea. Yeah. I think <laughs> it does, but it's lots of people hurting themselves. <laughs> but it's so huge. I mean, there are definitely people that don't know what they're doing when they saber, and um, they need to be horrible taught. Videos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then the other question is: is restaurants uh, in the world, right? Right. Well, we we were at a point where we were doing that every Saturday, I think, at the Fairmont, and Gloria Freire was giving us uh, magnums, and we were savoring for people out on the out on the front uh, front front porch or whatever you call it there in the at the at the hotel when people drive in. So Don, you guys have met Don Smeets. Uh, I know Sam, you know him, um, the Dutch guy who has come yeah. to the tasting room. So he used to do the savoring for us. And I don't think we had any fails. We were pretty good. But we had we had the, the right uh, knife. You know, it was in a box. It looked like it was, you know, probably yeah. cost of well, then it's, and then it's a matter of finding the seam, right? And then yep. being at the right temperature, I cold. believe, right? Yes, cold. Yeah. <laughs> Very cold. Yeah. I mean, opening sparkling wine, no matter what, you want it cold. Because if it's not, that's when it explodes and goes everywhere. Yep. I guess unless you're at a football game and you're trying to like. Unless you just won a championship. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. No, my worst nightmare is when people walk in with a bottle of sparkling wine that's not very cold and they want you to chill it down real quick and then they're very um, impatient about you getting it on the table. And you guys, you don't understand. Yeah. We, we need a little time for this. <laughs> it takes time. Well, Maya, can we talk? Well, just real quick, Maya, could you please um, let us know where is. Laureate now, as far as still wine, I, I know in the past there was a time where they were making a delicious, that great Carneros Merlot many years ago. And the, I think the last I saw, there was still some still Chardonnay being made. Or is that, is that correct? Yeah, and fortunately, the Merlot is gone, which makes me kind of sad because our spot is great for Merlot. But we don't focus on, we provide still wines to hospitality in our clubs for the people who want it. We make okay. Pinot Blancs. Um, a couple of clonal pinots and then just a general kind of blended pinot and then a chardonnay okay 
and not very much of any of them because it's mostly it's just through DTC and it's really right. for the people who come who have had too much bubbles for the day or want a little Pinot to finish off the afternoon. Yeah, yeah, cool. Can All right, so Sam, we, we got to get into to Maya's sister. And, and <laughs> That'll I make wanna, her so happy. <laughs> I want to hear this story because um, supposedly she's she's got a little, uh, she's got her own version of the 16600 history. The, the origin story. So on, we'll, we'll cross-pollinate here. On Chris Cottrell's uh, Bedrock Conversations podcast, um, he interviewed Maya's sister, Skyla, um, and she, I, I, I don't you know, why were they talking about Phil and Arden on the podcast, whatever, but um, <laughs> she, she basically like blew up the story that I had told to Chris. I think they like they recorded like the next day. I had told Chris about the Rossi Ranch and how that Phil and Arden met picking grapes at the Rossi Ranch in 1977. Like we tell every single person who comes through the tasting house as we pour the Hommage Blanc or the Val Rossi and um, Maya uh, Skyla straight up just goes, well, no, that's, that's not really how it happened. Phil and Arden met at Sky Vineyards, uh, you know, on the porch at the house at Sky Vineyards before they met at the Rossi Ranch. Um, and, you know, I'd already recorded. I, I didn't have time to retort. Uh, <laughs> they claim that they basically, like, saw each other at Sky, but never really talked until Rossi Ranch. So, uh, you know, maybe my parents misled me. Maybe, um, maybe Maya has a better version of the story for us. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I was two or three. If it was 1977, Skyla would have been like six months old. And you have to think of all these people's like mental states who you're talking about. So none of them, their right. stories is quite accurate, I would guess. But my mom and Arden were good friends. And I know that my mom really had, I don't know actually how my mom and dad met Phil, but I know that my mom really wanted to introduce Arden to Phil. Like she had a plan. So they were invited to come. They did meet on the porch. I don't know if they, they clearly, that's not their memory of getting to know each other. But my mom took Arden to work at Rossi with her. My mom was working for Mr. Rossi and had been for quite a while. My dad, too, a little bit. Uh, that's so, actually a better story than either of our stories, to be honest. We figure out <laughs> how Phil found his way up there, but he was found his way anywhere. Uh, yes. <laughs> did our moms know each other before they ended up on Cavedale? Um, I don't know. They, I mean, I know they both lived up there for a while, right. so... I'm not sure where they first met. I don't know where my parents first lived in Sonoma before they moved up the hill, but they must have because they right. found the place and moved there from there. And they were both working for Joe Miami and Rossi and Carmenet. And and at Mayakamas too, right? I remember my mom yeah. talking about working on the bottling line at Mayakamas and they were filling bottles by hands by hand and and you know with a siphon hose and you'd be wasted by the time you were done with your day in the modeling yeah. line. No, my dad started at Mayakamas. His first job there was, he was, I believe he was hired to run bottling. So he ran bottling before he kind of moved up the winemaking ladder at Mayakamas. Yeah, so. you, you know what, Maya, if you don't mind, could you talk a little bit about your dad and, and his history in, in the wine business here in Sonoma? Because he's certainly one of those pioneers of that era. 
And I, I know when I worked at Kenwood, one of the early, you know, wines when I was being introduced to Zinfandel, it was, you know, Sky was one of them. Um, uh, so if you could just speak about that a little bit. Yeah, so my dad came in the late 60s. My dad and mom were both born and raised in Berkeley. But my mom's family is actually from Napa quite a few generations back. But they came up here. Um, I don't know if it's because my mom's family like actually lived in downtown Napa and stuff. So however they came, they came here in the late 60s. My dad had been in Oregon for a few years working in a winery up there, um, basically running everything. And they came down here and they started working. The first jobs that they really had for both of them was like with Joe Miami and Val Rossi. Um, all the old Italian Sonoma guys, they taught them everything from winemaking, pruning. My dad had learned a lot up in Oregon, but they really kind of got deep into that old Italian Sonoma Valley mentorship program that was happening back then. Um, they worked at Old Hill a lot. Um, I think they even lived, actually, that's where they lived. They lived at Old Hill before they moved to Sky. Um, was that, it was owned by the, by Otto and Ann? the Bucklands then, right? Yeah, I believe so, yes. Yeah. Well, and, and that property- Joe, on... Miami, Joe Miami was the legendary, for people who don't know that name, the, the legendary vineyard manager, of really Sonoma Valley, but sort of the centerpiece of that was Monterosso. Yep, for... my parents worked there a little bit too. Harmony, and then my dad went to work for BV, so he ended up on the Napa side for quite a while. And then when he left BV, I believe he went straight to Mayakamas from there, but there might have been something else in between. And then he was at Mayakamas until from the mid early 70s until like 1985 or 1986. And so Mayakamas is just as much a part of Skyline Eyes childhood as Sky is. Like we were always there every day. And My Sky is technically in Napa Valley. Yep. Correct? Yeah. Yeah. And so the style of wine, like our vines are head trained. They're mostly dry farmed, um, except for when they're babies. The winemaking style that my dad embraced and has always used is really an Italian winemaking style, like high acid wines that are meant to age, not kind of the, what you think of the typical Zinfandel, which is like chalk your stocks off with alcohol and a little bit of a sweeter finish. Like almost no new oak ever hits our wines. Um, it's pretty mm. rare. And also, is that, was he influenced by, by Bob Travers and, and the Mayakama style, or is it something about that little piece of the world that lends itself to making those wines successfully? That's definitely, I mean, you kind of think the same thing about, about the Mayakama's wines. Yeah, no, I think it's both. It's the terroir up there, the wines, the soil lends itself to making those beautiful, structured, really age-worthy wines. The Chardonnays up there do the same. Mount Peter Chardonnays are probably the, my ultimate favorite in the whole world because they have that structure and complexity and they aged. In 17, when the fires were burning, I went um, to a friend's house in Berkeley for one night and we opened all of these like six, 1968 to like 1974 Chardonnays and drank through tons of them and they were amazing. Wow. You would never expect that. Um, so I think it's both. Bob was clearly influenced influential like his wine style Maya Kamas even though it's sold still makes wines to his style and some of it's the place and some of it's Bob's influence and those wines last they're they're amazing yeah. 
And when you when your parents got that property on Caveville, was it already planted with vines or did they put vines in? It was uh, prunes and a couple walnuts. So they cleared it. Oh, it was wow. overgrown. So it was originally in the 1850s, it was a homestead that was basically prunes and walnuts. Um, and they cleared it. It had been abandoned for years. Nobody had been there forever. So my dad cleared it. My mom and Arden, I think, did most of the planting, though. If you ask my dad, he did most of the planting. <laughs> um, again, all those <laughs> 1970 mountain memories, you, you got to take them all with a grain of salt. There was, you know, it was a planting party when, and some party and some planting and then maybe some more party. <laughs> but they got it in. We still have four rows of the original vineyard that they planted. It was on St. George. Everything else we planted was on AXR. And so those did not survive because of Bloxer. But the four St. George rows are still there and they're blooming every year. They survived the 17 fires where everything we had on 110R did not survive the fires. So it's kind of interesting uh -huh. that St. George is... Is amazing. It survives everything. So, Drought, fires, floods to some extent that we're on the top of the mountain. So flooding is not really a thing. If sky floods, everybody else is fucked. Yeah, we're, <laughs> <laughs> we're all <there. laughs> That would be one of the signs of the apocalypse. Totally. <laughs> For sure. Uh, so obviously you're replanting up there right now. Yep. Are you replanting everything to St. George? Um, some 1103 and some St. George wanted a little diversity. Okay. So, but there's quite a bit of St. George and that will all be the Pinbell. And what, um, what clones are you going, where are you getting the, the, are you cloning from the, the four remaining those rows or? No, we're going to go back to the Monte Rosso. So we're going to go over there and ask, um, we're going to get some Grenache from Rossi, um, some Mubedra probably from there too, I think. Hell yeah, um, and awesome. I, we're gonna do one tiny little block of cab, not for us to make, but um, and Jesse is gonna pick that based on whichever one's his favorite. Well, so. uh, wait, can we talk the the vineyards at Gloria for a second too? Because uh, I, I I'm I'm sure um, you know I'd love to hear kind of where they're at right now in the season, but also you know kind of where they're at in their their lifespan and what your um, you know, some of the things that you're doing there. So, um, right, the first, the property was purchased in 1984, 85, someplace and the winery was built about 1986 and the vineyards went in right about then. Mike Crumley started in 1986. He is still our vineyard manager, vice president of vineyards today. He still runs all the operations across the various properties. Um, it's a majority of Pinot Noir, we have more Pinot than anything else. But we also have some Chardonnay and a tiny bit of Pinot Blanc in one block because it does really well. Um, all of the clones that we use, um, Mike and Bob Iconic, oh, I can't say his last name right now because I'm under pressure. I am Tosca. Thank you. <laughs> Went to, uh, to France, to Champagne, picked out what they liked and brought a bunch home and with UC Davis kind of did a trial about what grows well here. And so all the clones that we grow are based on that work they did in the eighties. So every time we replant, we tend to take those same clones and propagate them and use them across the property. Mm. Um, Mike spent a lot of time really focusing on what clones do really well because our vineyard does go from the foot of the Sonoma Mountains and Wildcat Peak a little bit further down into kind of that heavy Carneros clay. So different clones do different 
do well in different spots. So we really worked on where the colonial collection works really well. Um, right now, we're looking at a really early harvest this year, maybe the first week of August, which wow. is kind of like, if you really think about it, that's not very far away. It's going to be here before we know it. Oh, yeah. um, is that because of all the early, like this May, early June heat we've been having, you think? We've had a lot of warm weather and the ground, like, I don't think that even though it was a colder winter, the ground, never, the soil temperatures never really dropped as much as I thought they would. And things were up and ready to go. And I have no idea why, but everywhere our vines are growing really well this year, even though we had almost no rain. So everywhere that I'm seeing vines are twice the size they were last year, even though we oh. have half as much rain. You've, you've only been working there for four months and already the vines are doing better. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not talking about there, I'm talking about everywhere. Um, and then what, what are your sort of like so you know, long term we'll yeah. go organic but not that we have some other things to focus on first because we're really focusing on some redevelopment work across the vineyards have been they're about 30 years old 40 years old in a lot of cases and so due to Utaipa and those things that kind of age out our vineyards are at that point. So we're really kind of focusing on like what we want the next 50 years to be look at look like. So we're focusing on how we're going to go wow. forward. What's the right mix of Chardonnay and Pinot. Um, it's unbelievable that the winery itself is always about from where I live in St. Helena to there, it's about 15 degrees cooler pretty much all the time. Huh. And from like the town of Sonoma to there, it's like five to 10 degrees cooler. It is, really really cool so it grows like we have less impact on climate change i think because it's such a cool spot and the breezes coming over the hill just keep us cool which is really nice so i think long term we're in a really good place down there to be long-term farmers with chardonnay and pinot interesting am i what are you drinking besides gloria ferrer when you're when you're at home you primarily white wine red wine white wine primarily when i'm at home i am a huge alsatian riesling girl i love those wines um i worked at newton for a long time and i love their chardonnays they're beautiful um and the mayakama chardonnays i drink a lot of also but my family zinfandel i drink quite a bit of and then rhone wines i grenache straw mouvedre blends straight varietals i love those wines yeah for sure. I mean, I worked very closely with Bill for years and everywhere we went, we were always trying to put in Grenache everywhere. Yeah, that was definitely like <laughs> when you were there, that was the era of the Grenache goes in everywhere. The Grenache went in at Oakville Ranch. And Part of that was me being like, yes, let's plant more. No more cab. <laughs> I mean, I'm not opposed to cab, but we have lots of it. So let's diversify it a little. Have you tasted the Oakville Grenache lately? I've got to get you a bottle of that. I have not. I tasted the grapes last year or the year before, right around harvest, but I have not had the wine in a long time. I get you, get you, because that was your, maybe right towards the end of when you were working at Enterprise Vineyards was the beginning of the Oakville Ranch project? Yeah, I think I was there for two years of that, three years of that. Yeah. Like we got the Grenache in the ground before I left. Right. I didn't see the, it produced until I came back and visited a few years later. So, Maya, Maya was um, before when Phil first started farming at Lassiter. Maya was our uh, a regular visit. You know, we only got Phil when 
it was really important. But Maya was there during the growing season every week. And uh, yeah. we spent a lot of time walking the vineyards um, and, and always a wealth of information. Um, so I, I always appreciated those walks, Maya. Um, That's awesome. I all, love that place too. That's a great yeah. spot. Yeah, a lot of learning was went on for me during that time because I was able to spend more time in the vineyards than when I was at Benziger, where it was in the cellar all the time. So, yeah, thank you for that. Maya's probably You're a better welcome. teacher than Phil was in regards to those things. Anyway, you could understand. You know what? I I I'm not going to comment on that. Time. Yeah, <laughs> still want those grapes. <laughs> I still I still want my grapes. <laughs> Grenache. Grenache from, from the Rossi Ranch. Yeah. Yeah. Best That's thing good. ever. And Sam, you, you want to talk a little bit about what's going on with you at the Tasting House, just so some of the listeners know, anyone coming out to visit? Yeah, we are um, inching closer to the new normal operations. Um, we're not taking reservations yet, but um, it looks like it should be in a week or so of this airing. Um, we've built out this back patio. We're doing a bunch of improvements. Um, my, you know, if you came and visited the tasting house, you know, last year or something, you probably, you know, saw into my messy office across from our, you know, main room. Uh, that messy office is now getting transformed into this really beautiful room. Um, so we're, you know, we're figuring out the social distancing and the sanitation probably change a little bit the way, we serve and pour the wine, um, but uh, we're you know, figuring out. It's, you know, the interesting thing is it's made us kind of have to be way more professional about the way that we look at our space and having, you know, really set time slots for reservations and things like that. So, um, you know, hopefully we'll, without having, without damaging our brand, which is, you know, like pretty strong um you know we're gonna try and be a little bit a little bit more um you know kind of operate like a normal winery in that regard um so i'm kind of figuring stuff out a little bit but should be within a week send an email uh you know the 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 message is members only um and and highly qualified referrals meaning if you listen to the podcast and laugh at even half of my jokes you can come <laughs> um and you know referrals from other wineries and, and drivers and things like that uh but really it's about um getting our members back here and, and having a space where it kind of sounds like a, a lot of what your goal is maya with what's you know gloria is doing right now kind of give people a place where they can sit down with a friend or two and have a couple glasses of of something and and kind of be here now and not be thinking about all the craziness in, in the world and what, you know, life looks like outside of our little Sonoma bubble. So um, that's definitely our first, excuse me, the first priority is just get the members back and say hi, you know, air hugs, six foot hugs and, and um, you know, put on some good music and, and be ourselves a little bit. Um, you know, that's, that's definitely the goal. Well, it seems like that's kind of what we're going to be doing at first is welcoming locals and people sort of within the Bay Area that just want to take a, you know, a, a day or two to, to go to wine country. I don't know how much um, of the tourist business we'll see immediately in the first couple months. I mean, we're anticipating opening up July 1st, but, you know, I think people will probably hang on for a little bit before they start getting on planes and coming out to wine country. Um, 
you know, I hope they do. But yeah, it'd be nice to just to see the yeah. our our local Sonomans. Uh, you know, I'm getting emails from people, you know, talking, planning trips this summer and and coming out here and and you know, encourage that and then also figure out how we can all do that safely is the is the challenge, right? But I think yeah, I mean, I, I I've also received a lot of um, inquiries from listeners. Um, who are still planning. I mean, they, they're planning on coming out. Some of them don't know where they're staying yet, but they all have plane tickets and they want to come taste. So, um, and we have quite yeah. a people from all over the country planning on coming this summer, which makes us a little nervous because it's a different, if it's a, it's a different. Yeah, they're, yeah they're, coming, they're coming from Tulsa next week. Yeah. <laughs> How long ago were you at a bar in Jacksonville, Florida last night? Yeah, yeah, come on in. Yeah, right. <laughs> as long as they're safe and wear their masks and walk, wash yeah. their hands. Yeah, wash your hands and, you know, I think for our standpoint, it's about the place that, like, makes me the most nervous and figuring out how to do it safely is, is busing. Clearing, clearing the glasses when people are done is the thing I think we need to do really carefully so that, you know, it's, if we're outside, everything else sort of, you know, kind of mitigates it, but it's that glasses inside the table, you know, inside the washroom. You don't clear the tables until the tables have gotten up and moved. So it's yeah. a little bit messier while people are sitting there, but then we, the staff puts gloves on and clears the plates. Yeah. That's I love that look anyway. I love seeing glasses strewn all over tables because that, that's a festive look. That shows that you're you're doing you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. It's like yeah. trophies, you know. It's <laughs> right, right. Yeah, and you know, I thought it was funny. I went to Bottle Barn yesterday because I remember Bart. You had mentioned that they were back open. I tried to go there a few days ago, but I I went there at like four thirty, and they had closed at four. They've changed their hours now. It's ten to four. Um, so uh, so my daughter had. Um, we, I took her to swim yesterday at, at um, Ridgeway in Santa Rosa, had an hour to kill, so went to Bottle Barn. And I was expecting to go in and have, you know, it, you know, every place else that I've gone over the past couple of weeks has been, you know, someone giving you directions as far as, okay, you, here's some hand sanitizer, or, you know, do you have your mask on or let me take your temperature or whatever it was. But you just pretty much walked into Bottle Barn and as long as you had a mask on. So I'm at the only bottles that I touched are ones that I purchased because I didn't feel like I should just be, you know, normally you want to pick bottles up, you want to turn them around, look at the labels. And even the price on some of them isn't immediately apparent when you're looking down at the bottles and all the bins, you kind of have to pick it up and turn it around to see how much it is. Um, but they didn't have any sort of guidelines or anything. Um, so I thought it was a little bit odd because, you know, we're all talking about safely serving people. Um, and glass was one of the ones that, you know, people had an issue with if we're touching a wine bottle and then if that's touching your glass or if my hand is then touching your glass. But, um, so I, I brought those bottles home and just gave them a wipe down. And that's why I'm not actually drinking today. Bart, I see you're tasting a little bit of Shannon, but I had my fair share of, uh, I had some Craig Harmeyer Shannon Blanc, um, last night. So I'm, I'm, uh, is that why, is that why you're, um, you're in your daughter's room? Well, if, <laughs> that because maybe because I started with mezcal last night, then moved on, <laughs> then moved on to the uh, Chenin Blanc, um, and then the fact that it's hot here, and she's the only one that has AC in her room because she has a rabbit that can't get hot, and so the rabbit's got a big 
cage in here. And so I told her, I said, I'm kicking you out of your room because I'm going to do the podcast from here because it's at least 70 degrees. Where... Because he's got some hangover sweats going on. That's what it <laughs> yeah, is. Exactly. Yeah, I would not want to have my temperature taken today. That, right. mez, that mezcal is sort of right. slowly bleeding out. <laughs> Craig, Craig Harmeyer will be thrilled to hear that you that you opened up with mezcal when you before you opened the shen. <laughs> and I and I was drinking it out of a mason jar. I have to admit, <laughs> the mezcal or the or the shen blanc. I pretty much drink everything out of a mason jar if I'm at home. <laughs> yeah, everything else does, just slows you down. How does Maria's favorite uh, uh, Gloria Ferrer taste out of a mason jar? Uh, pretty good. She she has graduated because she used to drink out of a flute, and then she saw me not doing that. So then she graduated to a smaller white glass, and now she's just in the full on stemless, like uh, I mean, almost looks like a water glass. Uh, so that's how she's drinking her Gloria now, and, and um, you know she's she's going through a bottle a day. She's doing good. And she, yeah, <laughs> oh, believe me, if, if you wonder why your sales at Oliver's in Katati um, of Glory <laughs> for Air Blanc de Noir are where they're at, it's, that's my wife. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, the wine club allocation lasts us three days, and then, and then we got to go to Oliver's. <laughs> so we have a new club tier that you guys should upgrade to. <laughs> oh, okay, and what is that? It's a case four times a year. Um, it is called our estate collective. You also get invited to a special dinner at Harvest where okay. you can come and have dinner wherever we decide to set the tables up in a given year with the winemaker and celebrate. But you get a case four times a year so you won't run out and you can yeah. customize it with whatever you want. Yeah, that's a good idea. You know, we only belong to two clubs. It's Gloria Ferrer and then it's Hanson's Distillery um, down the road from you guys because we're big supporters of their vodka which you guys tomorrow i think you're doing something for father's day i think um fred and amy from prohibition spirits are are coming down um to glory and are gonna you guys gonna make up some cocktails or something i did i got to pre-taste one of the cocktails earlier this week they're delicious yeah no that's a fun partnership and we figured it was like the right time to do it with father's day and I don't want to spoil anything, so I'm not going to say what we're doing, but it's, it's going to be good. <laughs> well, are, are Fred and Amy going to be dressed in some silver shiny jumpsuits or something? I have no idea. I've not been part of the planning team, but okay. I, I, was, I was part of the photo shoot. I took the pictures for social media, so okay. I got to try the cocktail. They're Those a very fun like a, couple. A spritz, like some sort of Aperol spritz or something? Is that what the, the, the prohibition bottle that I saw in the picture? Oh, right. Yeah, I saw that on Instagram. Yeah. But a little bit less sweet and more more cocktail-y than like light, than a spritz would be. Right, right. It's delicious. Because you're using sparkling wine. Yep. Hey, Maya. When is that? What time should I be there? Yeah, right. (laughs) Are those to go? How does that that work? I don't, you know, I forgot to follow up to see because we were going to try and do curbside pickup partnership so you can get a bottle of the spirits and that. But I don't, I don't know where we ever got to that. I don't think we can actually do it because it's not legal for us to to sell spirits. Right. Yeah, I don't know. This says sit down with us Saturday at 11 a.m. for a fun Father's Day episode of Bubbles and Brunch, partnering with Prohibition Spirits. And they will show you how to make the world-famous Sonoma Spritz. It's on Instagram, but I assume they're filming on the um, patio. But 
I'm not sure how they decided to do it given COVID and all that. Right. Right. So. And Maya, I just, I was curious when you kind of went over it too quickly, when you decided that you were going to learn Spanish, which for some reason you couldn't do in Sonoma County, <laughs> that you were, that you were going to move to Spain. Where did you go in Spain? I ended up in Puerto Santa Maria, which is in basically Jerez, where they make sherry. Yeah. So and how did I, you pick that? I thought, okay, so I was 16, a little blonde. I thought I was going to Madrid, and I don't really remember how I ended up there, but I was really, really depressed the first two weeks until I realized that I actually had a skill that was useful and could get a job <laughs> because I was in a wine growing region. So Right. That was vastly helpful. Okay, and did you actually learn Spanish? I did, and I okay. still speak Spanish today. It's sometimes, like most of the crews here speak Spanish, but they also speak a little bit of Indian Spanish. And I speak Spanish, but I have a very formal training, like very proper Spanish. So sometimes there's a few, especially now that I speak Spanglish with formal Spanish, there can be some weird issues, but usually the Crews understand me. Right. All of those guys know exactly what I'm saying, which is good, but they've known me for right. 20 years. So well, and any any Spanish is better than the Spanish that Phil speaks. So <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've actually heard some of that in. before. Yeah. Again. yeah but, but but Phil speaks with a lot of confidence. And you know, right. if you can speak Spanish with confidence, you get by a little more. And yeah. it's all about and it's voc it's vocabulary. N never met a verb that he conjugated correctly, but the the <laughs> vocab is just like yeah. And and you know the the differences between the language that's spoken in vineyards in California and the language that is taught in a textbook even at you know Sonoma Valley High School. <laughs> right. right. Uh, no, it does not make sense. Yeah, Isabel Gossier should be teaching Spanish in our elementary schools. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> and Sam, I just wanted to mention that you at the Tasting House have the 2019 Rossi Ranch Roussan in keg. It, well, I have the kegs. I have the, as we're speaking, the kegs are in one place. The wine is in another place. I haven't made that that crucial piece of it. The, the, the rosé is getting oh. <laughs> The okay. Roussan is going to get filled next week, uh, and then it'll be, we'll have rosé, 19 rosé and 19 Rossi Roussan on tap in the Tasting House. Okay, and I bring it up just solely for selfish purposes, because th that Roussan is the same grapes that I made my wine with, but mine is currently still in barrel, still going through fermentation. <laughs> and you, you have already bottled and or kegged. So yes, I have. Yeah. I, well, I have. I have some of the nineteen in bottle, uh, and I'm putting some in kegs, putting yeah. the barrels with into kegs. Yeah. So if you want to taste my wine about six months from now, the Consgard edition of the Rossi Ranch <laughs> Roussan, um, I will be taking pre-orders. <laughs> yes, please, Brian. Let's use the sixteen six hundred Roussan on tap to sell your Roussan. I'm right. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> because. Because they're going to be similar, yet totally different. Completely different. <laughs> yeah, right. And, and Bart, I would, I would mention your wines, but I know you don't have any left after those three virtual tastings that you guys did. Bart is Bart's ready to... Well, to, no, wait a minute. Wait Bart's a minute, ready to bottle anything he can get his hands on. Wait a minute. We have wine to sell. Let's not, get, let's not confuse people. Okay. We're just limited.
limiting um, certain varieties on how much is available. We still have wine for sale. Okay, so DaneSellers.com. We are, yeah, we are in business to sell wine, DaneSellers.com. Okay, so, you don't have a little out of stock thing on every one of your bottles on your website. No, no. no. Okay. Even, even it's just to put. Still have wine to sell. We have wine to right. sell also. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah, Gloria Ferrer and <laughs> right and Sky Vineyards. Yes, and Sky Vineyards. Both are very good, very good options. All right, you guys. Absolutely. We, and, right. and where do we wait? Wait, let's plug. Let's make sure we get those plugs in before we. Yeah. The the, the Gloria plug and, and throw the Sky plug. Where best ways to find it? Things that are you know one more round on the cool things that are happening. Um. You know, I know PR is PR is listening, so let's make sure we hit all our points. Yeah, <laughs> make sure I get them all, please. Um, so, of course, GloriaFerrer.com is the best place to go. You can sign up to, for reservations to come see us because we're hosting people again. We have a bunch of different experiences and tiers. You can come have everything from a cheese and meat plate to a tasting of caviar's with the sparkling wine, um, and we have. We've revamped the club, so we have two new tiers to the club. One that I talked about already is the Case Club, and then we have a kind of entry level that's only four bottles per year, but it's some of our wholesale kind of more access to the wines that are available all over the country. It's generally for people out of state because it doesn't have any benefits at the winery. Um, and we're doing curbside pickups still. We'll continue doing that as long as we can keep going with it. We're doing home delivery. It's free for Sonoma Valley and um, $5 after that for Napa and outside of Sonoma Valley, Marin and Alameda. We do um, pairings on Fridays so you can pick up wine and pick up food. I believe this Friday is Fried Chicken Friday and then Soul Food and then Petaluma Pie Company and then um, Fried Chicken Fridays again, something like that. I'm not totally sure of the schedule. The website I gotta get on that list for the Soul Food one. Yeah. Yes. It's so exciting seeing that up there. So sign up and come and pick it up. Um, I think that's the, and our Instagram and virtual tastings and all that. All the stuff, information's on our website, or you can call our hospitality, which those guys are, they are amazing. And then for Sky Vineyards, skyvineyards.com is pretty much the only place to get it these days besides wine shops here and there, which I don't actually know where they are, but up and down, mostly California, some New York. And that's pretty awesome. Much it. Thank cool. you guys awesome. for hosting me today. This has been awesome. Yeah, thank you, Maya. Nice seeing you. Congratulations again. Come see me at the winery. You guys should just come and see us even if we're not doing this. Come have yeah. a glass of patio. Can I bring my wife? You can bring your wife. Okay. And tell your sister to either yeah. stay off social media or get her story straight. She's she's messing with our messing messing with the sixteen six hundred mojo. I'm not touching the ten foot pole. All right, Maya. Thank you so much. Uh, if you want to listen to some of our past episodes, you can uh, go to radiomisfits.com backslash the winemakers. We'll see what we're doing next week. We're we're going back and forth. We're getting a little bit closer to actually meeting in person, getting together and drinking a bottle of wine. I know one of the first things that I want to do when we do that is head up to CV because I want to go see Jim Dwayne um, because we had done that podcast earlier, but I want to go see that property and do one of our first um, in-person podcasts with him up there. Um, but we'll see. Bart, you're taking off next week. You're heading up to Donner Lake. You're going to go do some, do some boating and, and hang out. In the yeah. I'm taking my bike, get up, get up and 
test my uh, lungs at altitude. Um, yeah. But if if we uh, we I can always zoom in for another recording next week. So we'll figure okay. out something for next week. All right, cool. Thanks, guys. This has been the Winemakers. Thanks for listening. As always, stay safe. Uh, tune in. Drink more wine. Um, Winery16600.com. DaneSellers.com. You can buy. Bart's got T-shirts or something. I don't know. I don't think he has any more. <laughs> I got you too. And drink more bubbles, right? Yeah, I have beer koozies. There bubbles. you go. Drink more bubbles. Use a larger glass, Maya says. Right. Thank <laughs> you, Abby. Use a wine glass. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks. We'll talk to you later.